Welcome again. Last week we did a little intro to uh, Hebrews. Today we're going to start it. Um, last week we talked about um, Hebrews as being a, a book that uh, has Paul as the author. If it's not Paul, it's somebody in his immediate vicinity. He's got uh, Timothy, and and uh, we, we saw that Timothy is, is named by person at the end of the book. And Timothy is uh, um, co-author with uh, Paul in six different books, and also the recipient of two of the or letters, six different letters, and a recipient of two of the letters. So there's a real close correlation. We saw that this is written to someone who Paul's very familiar with. We saw the f- highly familiar phrases throughout the throughout the letter. We saw that their brethren, their Jewish brethren, Jewish brethren who had believed in Jesus as Messiah. And um, we also saw that Paul never stopped uh, adhering to his Jewish practices, his Jewish customs. We saw in Acts that he came to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, uh, they said, uh, hey, everybody in Jerusalem has heard that you're out teaching the Jews who live out among the Gentiles not to teach their children uh, the customs of Moses or be circumcised. And these people are zealous for the law because we got myriads of Jews who've believed. And they're zealous for the law because when they believed in Jesus as Messiah, then being zealous for the law made sense for them. Or they see those two things go together. And now they hear you've come to Jerusalem, they most certainly will want to know what's going on with you telling these people that. And we know that this isn't true. We know you're a law-abiding guy. So go and pay for these guys to have a vow and shave your head with them, and then everybody will know that that's not true. And Paul does it. And we also saw the passage in Acts where Paul comes to the Jewish leaders in Rome, and he says, Hey, hey brethren, I have never violated the customs of our fathers. Um, We also took a look at Acts 15, where you have this big divide where the Jewish leaders, including Paul, I'm sorry, including Peter, the uh, head apostle, and Paul, not Paul, James, the head elder, speaking to Paul and Barnabas and uh, the church at Antioch. And they say, from this point forward, we're all one big family under grace But from a custom standpoint, the Jews are going to be Jews and the Gentiles are going to be Gentiles. We just ask the Gentiles to um, keep the Noahic covenant. Don't eat meat, strangle in its blood, and practice sexual immorality because there's a lot of Jews out there and we don't want to create a schism. But in terms of culture, we got two separate cultures. In terms of uh, unity in the spirit, we're all one. Acts 15. We saw that. So when we come to Hebrews, we understand that if you have a Jewish leader speaking to a Jewish audience, he's not going to be getting them, trying to get them to stop being Jewish. That's been settled. Uh, Especially if it's Paul, who's a Hebrew of Hebrews and never stops practicing the uh, Jewish tenets. But what did Paul say about those things? They're rubbish to me compared to my relationship with Christ. And so what we might see, and in fact what we are going to see, is putting your confidence in those things, those things that are just cultural. Putting your confidence in those things is an immense and tragic waste. And we're certainly going to see that. And even though we're not Jewish, we're going to easily be able to make application to that because we, in fact, can do the same thing. We can put our confidence in cultural things. So this morning I want to start in Hebrews chapter 2. Chapter 2, I'm going to start in chapter 2 because chapter 2 is so much easier to engage with than chapter 1. And because next week you're going to have a real special treat if all the technology works. Uh, Dr. Anderson's going to videotape a message for you uh, this week when he's here to do his GSOT class. And the message is going to be on Hebrews 1. Now, Dr. Anderson is an expert on Hebrews 1. He wrote a book about it. And it has some... And I, I think it's his dissertation. 
Do you remember that? Do you know for sure? I, th- I, th- I think it is. I'm not positive about that. The book has some sort of uh, sort of pointy-headed theological term, you know, title, but I, I can't. So I can't remember what the title is. But what it's about is uh, Psalm 110, and it's about the crowning of the Son of Man. And just to give you a little preview, what chapter one sets up is the whole rest of Hebrews because it sets up Jesus having two offices, the son and the high priest. Now, son in the Bible is uh, actually managed two different ways, that, that word. Son can mean male offspring. So, um, Jacob had a son and named him so-and-so. And son can mean the, the one who bears the inheritance title. And I think Dr. Dave will go into this next week, but um, if you have a sovereign and he decides to uh, bring another kind of sub-king into his, into his sphere of influence and, and convey power to this other king, because you, you understand that in these big empires there were multiple kings under a high king. Okay, so what he would do is have a ceremony. And do you know what this ceremony is called? The adoption. And as you read about adoption in the New Testament, it's usually talking about this kind of adoption, not the kind where you have a child that comes into your family. This is talking about adopting a co-regent into your realm, your reigning realm. So you have adoption and you say, I'll be the father and you be the son. Today I've begotten you. Now, which of those two usage of son fits Jesus Christ? It has to be the reigning one, right? Why does it have to be that? He was never never born as a a child, right? When, When did Jesus Christ... When did Jesus Christ begin his, his existence? In eternity, right? He's God. So there is no child of the Father in the sense of having been begotten as his starting place in life. He is from everlasting. He was born as a child in this world, but that was just an inhabitant of a body. That was not his beginning. Before Abraham was, I am. It was one of the phrases he said that really infuriated the Jews because they understood that that meant he already existed. He's from everlasting. So when he calls himself son of man, what's he saying? The reigning king of all humanity. That's what he's calling himself. The one who has been given the reign from the great king. Now, since the Jews, um, since the Jews consider God to be one, which God is, but they, they, they don't take it in the husband and wife shall be as one kind of one. They take it as mono. You know, there's just one person. And uh, since they see God as the high king, the great king, that's one of the... If, if you ask a Jewish person uh, to describe God to me, they won't say omnipotent, omnipresent. They'll say things like shepherd, king, priest. So, uh, since he's the high king, when Jesus says, I am the son of God, they say blasphemy. Why do they say that? Well, they don't say that because they think he's saying, I, I too am an offspring of God and God's child, just like every other human being. They understand that he's saying, I'm, I'm reigning with the high king. And he's equating himself with God. That's why they call it blasphemy. So you're going to see cha- chapter 1 is about Jesus is the Son. And that makes him above angels, which has a key importance. You're also going to see that this Psalm 110 is the highest structure, just like kind of seems like the whole Bible is. And in the middle of this chiastic structure is Jesus' high priest. 
And what we're going to see in Hebrews is that the recurring theme is Jesus is the Son and Jesus is the High Priest. Now, let's just start in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard from the Son, lest we drift away. For the word spoken through angels proves... For if the word spoken through angels, that would be the Old Testament, proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. What's a just reward for transgression and disobedience? Parents? So you kill your child if they transgress or disobey? That's pretty rough. What do you do to your children if they transgress or disobey? You spank them, right? Put them in time out. Take away a privilege, okay? That's what, that's what God did to his people, didn't he? You want quail? We'll give you enough till it comes out your nostrils, and then you get sick on it. Uh, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and which was confirmed to us, by those who heard him, that being the Lord. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So we have here that we can neglect salvation. Now let's just talk about the word salvation. The word here, the Greek word is soterio, and this is Hebrews 2. Soterio... Uh, and for those of you who just came in, I've got uh, Dr. Dave's going to have a video next week about Hebrews 1. That's why I'm starting in 2. Soterio is most often translated salvation. But let's look at Acts 27.34. Acts 27.34. Acts 27.34. Uh, this is, I'll start in 33 here. As the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you've waited and continued without food and eat nothing. This is after this tempest that they were in. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. Anybody see the word salvation in there? Survival. Soterio. So you could, you could translate that. This is for your salvation. Now, how could meat be for your salvation? It saves you from death, right? Physical death. He's saying you need to be saved from physical death by eating meat. So what does that tell us about this word salvation? What's that? Yeah, yeah, it has a contextual. You need to know what the context is. You need to know two things to know how to use this word. What are the two things? What, what are the two things you have to know in this context in order to understand what salvation is, soterio? Yeah, somebody's being saved from something. What is it? Saved from what? And? The tents. Very good. I'll, I'll say three things. That's outstanding. Yeah, who's being, who's being saved from what and when? Who's being saved from what and when? <clears throat> when is this, in this particular case, when are they going to be saved? Yeah, right now, when they eat the meat, right? Okay. And these guys are not eating for 14 days because of worry. So when we see salvation, we've got to ask, who's being saved from what and when? So this is a salvation we can neglect, but before we can understand what it is the neglect is, and what it, and what we're being, what, who's being saved from what, when, we got to figure out from the context who's being saved from what and when. <clears throat> Let me just dig into the comment Tim made about tents for a second. Let's look at Romans thirteen, verse eleven. Romans thirteen, verse eleven. Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay. This, uh, the lead end to this is about treating others as you want to be treated. Don't murder, don't, don't uh, speak untruth, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love, love is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 11, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep because uh, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Okay, so here we go over here. We first believe. What do we call that when you first believe in time? I'm going to do a timeline here physically. What, 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 what do we call that when you first believe? Justification. What else do we call it? Conversion. Being saved. Born again. Okay, so let's just use born again as our main metaphor here. When, something, when someone's born, what does that mean? It's just happened. New life. Their life has begun, right? So they start living now. The clock starts ticking and they start moving forward in time. Are they getting closer to their birth or further away from it? They're further away, right? We're getting further away. So this person was born again. They were saved. And now the further they go in life, are they getting closer or further away from when they were saved? Further away, right? What does Romans 13, 11 say is happening as we march along away from our new birth? What are we doing? We're getting nearer our salvation. So what does that tell you about this salvation? It's not talking about that one, right? It's not talking about being saved from the penalty of sin through justification. It can't be because we're not getting closer to that. So it has to be talking, it has to be talking about getting saved from something else. What salvation are we all who've been born again looking forward to? Glorification. What happens in glorification? Okay, we become as He is. Death's defeated. We get a new body, right? There's enough people in here old enough to start kind of identifying with that. I would like to have a new body. Ours are starting to break down a bit, some of us, huh? Okay, so that's the salvation that we're looking forward to in Romans 13. So we've got to understand what this salvation is that we can neglect. Can we neglect having been born? That's really kind of impossible, isn't it? Oh, I forgot, I forgot to put on my body this morning. I got up and I was just a spirit floating around. I put on my clothing and I forgot my body's still in bed. I forgot it. I, I need to go get back in my body. Is that realistic? Really? So we can't really neglect that one. So it must be something else that we're going to neglect. Let's put that on the side for a minute. And we'll come back to it. Because he's going to tell us in this next uh, section of this fantastic chapter what it is that we're going to neglect. So, we go on, and he says, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying. So, since we now start talking about the world to come, we got a little hint about what this is, don't you think? What salvation we're talking about? The world to come? But let's don't jump ahead, let's just dig into this. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands and have put all things in subjection under his feet. This is Psalm 8. I want you to turn to Psalm 8, please. When Paul quotes a verse, he expects that you understand the whole context of the verse in the entire passage, why would he expect that? You've already memorized it. Why? You grew up in a Jewish culture and that's what you did, right? Their awanas was to memorize the entire Old Testament. Word for word. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, 
who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you've ordained strength because of your enemies. That you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him have to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Okay? Tell me what this psalm's talking about. Glory of God. Glory of God's above the heavens. It's amazing. The glory of God. It's incredible. Look at all He's made. Is that the only glory this talks about? The mystery of man. Why is it a mystery? What's mysterious? Because he's a little lower than angels, but crowned with glory. Because he has glory. Okay, so here you go. you got the God of the universe who has all this glory. He created all things. And then he makes this little man, lower than the angels. So if you have angels, man, and man is under angels, who are you going to put in charge? Angels. Makes perfect sense, right? And he puts man in charge. Who's man that you put him in charge? You've got at your house, you've got in your house, husband, wife, dog. Who are you going to put in charge? I know some of you have a house that's ruled by a dog, but where that's, let's don't. Okay? Yeah, you're, you're going to be in charge, right? You're not going to let, hey, I'm going out of town. Coach is in charge. Just do what coach tells you. That doesn't make it, that, that's not going to fly, right? So that's what the writer's saying here. He's saying, yeah, you've got these low creatures and they're in charge. I, it's it's, it's kind of crazy. Why did you give him complete charge of all? What, what's he in charge of, according to this? All that was made. Let, name them off for me. Well, that's all that was made. What all does he say that's been put under your feet? Sheep and oxen. Okay, sheep and oxen. So, what kind of what kind of what kind of relationship do we typically have with sheep and oxen? We eat them. The oxen, we, they work for us, right? Okay. So this is work, provision. Uh, before the fall, you know, the sheep wouldn't have been eaten. What, what would have our function for the sheep? Yeah, cl- maybe clothing, although we really didn't need clothing either. I don't really know what sheep were for. I mean, probably used them as pillows or something. Uh, so you got sheep and oxen. And uh, what else? What's next? Birds of the air. Now, what does it look? I can understand sheep, they go in the pen. And oxen, they go in the pen. What, what does it look like to reign over the birds of the air? Chicken coops? Maybe. What's that? No, the birds are not of the air. They're on the ground, okay. Well, they do, but this is the, the picture here is before the fall, though. We got a picture here before the fall when we're reigning over these. And there's no death at this point in time. So, yeah, you talk to the birds, right? So, so we, have a, we have a, uh, a church service and the bird choir shows up, right? Have you ever been to a bird show where they train the birds to do things? The tiki room. Well, artificial birds, okay. That's fine. Okay, what does it look like to reign over the fish of the sea? all come running up. Have you ever been to a show where somebody calls and the fish come running? Where someone rides on a fish? SeaWorld! You know the reason why people love SeaWorld? It's supposed to be that way. Free Willy's supposed to be the way life really is. 
You're supposed to actually be able to have a flipper yourself. Okay, that's this is it's it's part of our being that's saying I'm supposed to be able to communicate with these animals and interact with them. You can pay money, and someone will put you in a boat and take you out in the ocean, and you can swim with dolphins. Why would someone do that? Because we're supposed to. That's the way it's supposed to work. Because we were put in charge of everything. But now verse 2 is kind of problematic. What does out of the mouth of babies and nursing infants you've ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger have to do with man being a little lower than the angels and being placed over all creation? What's that have to do with that? Who's the baby? Who's the nursing infant here? Man. Why is man a nursing infant? If you have a nursing infant, what do you know about that child? Helpless? Ignorant? Dependent? Hungry? (laughs) What do you know about their age? They hadn't been around very long, right? How long have the angels been around? Long time. We don't know when, but a long time, right? And suddenly these newcomers show up that are lower than them. Crying. Struggling. Their umbilical cord snapped off. And Jesus says, I'm going to have those guys rule everything. And why did he do that? Why did he put the newcomers in charge? What's it say? Silence the enemy. Who's the enemy? Satan. What class has he come from? The angels. So you start to get it? Was he in charge, Lucifer? He was. He was in charge of the whole universe, as best we understand. And what did he say? That's not good enough, right? I want... I don't want to be a sub-regent under the Father. I want to be the great king myself. And because of that, he was set aside. And yet, he's the ruler of the world still today. We know that from the New Testament, right? The ruler of this world has come. So here you've got it. This is the grand drama of all Humanity. This is, this is the Shakespearean tragedy that we're all a part of. S- Lucifer was the head guy. He was the sub-regent under the great king. Tried to knock off the great king. Did not succeed. So in order to demonstrate and silence the accusations and the claim of this regent, God has appointed some babies to overthrow him. And how do we do that? It's something about out of our mouths. When this Old Testament talks about your mouth, it presumes actions part of it. So our lives are to demonstrate this. Okay? So this is Psalm 8. Let's go back to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2. For he's not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. What glory and honor? You set him over the work of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. Now let me ask you, do all you feel that way right now? Do you feel like everything's under your feet? That you're ruling? That it all goes the way you say? Anybody feel that way? For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now... We do not yet see all things put under Him. What's the key word there? But now we do not yet. 
see. What does that tell you? We will see all things put under subjection to Him. But we see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels? How was Jesus made a little lower than the angels? He came man. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. What salvation is happening here in this verse? I mean, in this passage we just done. What's being saved? What's being saved? What's being saved and when? What? Right position for who? Okay, we're being restored to our proper place. Why were we knocked off of that place? The fall. Okay. So what's what's being saved from what? It's not just us, right? Because part of the death is that we're we're no longer interacting with the oxen and the sheep and the birds and the fish like we're supposed to be, or each other. It's all a creation, right? All a creation groans. Why does all a creation groan? You remember from Romans 8? It's not the way it's supposed to be. And what's it longing for? We'll go to that passage if we have time. Yeah, what's being saved here is all of creation being saved from the results of the fall and death. So we don't see that happening right now. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not, we're not in the position we're supposed to be in at this point in time. But what we do see is Jesus. But we see Jesus, verse uh, t- 9, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. If Jesus was restored back to His proper spot through the suffering of death, what do you think we're going to be asked to do? How are we going to be restored? Through Jesus. What did Jesus do? He died. Is that all He did? He suffered. What do you think we're going to be asked to do? If Jesus suffered and was restored to His proper place, what do you think we're going to be asked to do? Suffer. It's hard to get out of your mouth, isn't it? Does death cause suffering in your life? Does the fall cause suffering in your life? Does separation and division between you and other people cause problems in your life? That He, Jesus, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for Him, Jesus, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. Many sons to glory. What is a son? Well, okay, a son has to be a babe because it has to be a man. But what is a son? Not just, not just somebody that's born. What is it? A reigner. A co-regent. Someone who's appointed to help rule. We're being saved from being, have, being knocked off our proper position and being restored back to our proper position. And the, the admonition here is don't neglect that salvation. How could you neglect that salvation? How could you neglect it? Yeah, but by, by, by not following the path Jesus given to you. Is it guaranteed that we're going to be restored to that position? No. It's not. 
The new birth is something that God just gave us, right? Anybody here have anything to do with your birth, your physical birth? Anybody here? Anybody like plan it out? Uh, you know, choose your parents. Maybe uh, make make an appointment, schedule when you're going to show up. To have an invitation list, who you wanted to be there. Anybody even remember your birth? Okay. You really, you really woke up about two, three years old, right? And realized you were alive up until then. You're just oblivious. It was just given to you. You don't know anything. You don't remember anything about your birth. Anybody remember about the choices you've made that have made you who you are today? So that you have a lot to do with, right? And that's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about justification and new birth. Everybody he's talking to here is, has that. You can't neglect that. What you can neglect is the opportunity that you've been given for restoration back to what God originally intended. Jesus has defeated death. Now, the death that enters the world, that entered the world, when the fall happened, has many facets. A death is a separation. If your battery's dead, what happened? Why? Car doesn't start. Why? Yeah, there's no flow of, of electrons, right? The flow was cut off. And that's what death is. It's something got disconnected. What all got disconnected the day Adam died? What? Fellowship between who and who? God and man. Us in creation. Adam and Eve. This woman who you gave me. What else? Animals and man. Our hair started falling out. Okay? Us in the tree of life. The siblings. Work. What else is there? The garden. You, you, you stickers. <laughs> That's right. Weeds. You know the most devastating ones are the one we usually don't think about? The separation between us and reality. Does anybody here any good at rationalizing bad behavior? I mean, we're all experts at that, aren't we? We come out of the womb immediately with the ability to rationalize bad behavior, it seems. Jesus comes to uh, Adam and says, what have you done? What's he say? The woman you gave to me. What should he have said? I disobeyed your command. And now I'm going to get the consequences of it. And that's what's best for me. Put it on me. Anybody here kind of think that way? Kind of naturally? Death entered the world. And we can be delivered from that death. How? Through the power of Jesus. But that's something we can neglect. We can just live in the death, even though we've been delivered from it. Verse 10, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, not just him, but many, to make the to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The captain of their salvation. Which salvation are we talking about? The restoration. And Jesus is the captain of that. He's the leader of that restoration to say, death happened back here at the fall, and now I have taken on to me the suffering of death for all people. And because I've taken that on and defeated that, you too now can walk in victory over it. And Paul is saying, I do not want you to neglect that. It's very similar to his Romans chapter 6. Can you sin that grace may abound? Yes. Is it a good idea to sin that grace may abound? Of course not. Why? 
Why should we, who've been delivered from slavery and death, go back into it? We have the, the enablement to be delivered from sin and death, and we can neglect that. For both he who sanctifies, verse 11, but for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Now, I'm not really sure what these verses do, to be, to be real honest. I think if somebody has a better idea, let me know. But I think what he's saying here on the first one, he says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. What he's saying is, Jesus is there with us. He, he's sitting in the audience with us. And when he says, I will put my trust in him, he's saying, just like you, I learned complete dependence on my father. Just like you're being offered the opportunity to do, I should say, I learned complete dependence on my father. Do you remember that Jesus said, of myself, I can do nothing? He put himself in complete dependence. He's paved the way to show us what a completely dependent life looks like. Here I am and the children God's given me. Now he's gone up on stage, so to speak, and said, These are all the ones whom I've delivered from death, and I want to deliver them to complete restoration. That's my goal. Why? Because I'm their captain. I came from heaven to earth to take on a body to defeat death so that they could be restored. The whole idea from the very beginning was, I'm going to take these people lower than the angels, give them the reign over the earth, and silence Lucifer. Lucifer won a battle because he put us into that death. And now, when we follow Jesus, who's defeated death, we actually defeat Satan. It's a win-win situation. But we can neglect that salvation. And Paul's saying, do not neglect that salvation. The Son is the reigner. Jesus is the Son of Man. If you go through and look up Son of Man, it's all, that's basically all Jesus refers Himself to. When Pilate said to Jesus, are you the King of the Jews? Yeah, I am. But my kingdom is not of this world. Does that mean it never will be? Of course it doesn't. And the Hallelujah Chorus, the great piece, music piece from the Messiah. The kingdom of our Lord has begun. The kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. That song is in Revelation. And it takes place when Jesus comes back to earth and starts His reign because He is the Son of Man. And he's the captain of the restoration. The deliverance of us from being insignificant to being reigners over the earth. Now, let me just ask you. How many of you wanted to be something great when you were young? Everybody, okay? What was it? What was your idea of greatness when you were a little kid, Tim? Packers? Football player, was that you? All right, that was you? All right, play for the Packers. How old were you when you realized that just wasn't going to happen? Forty. Forty something, huh? What do you mean it's not going to happen? How about you, Andy? What was your idea of greatness? Playing baseball, Major League Baseball. Okay, how old were you when you realized that isn't going to happen? College. Okay. Uh, let's see. Amy, how about you? What was your idea of greatness when you're seven years old or something? I just wanted to be a wife and a mother. Wife and a mother? You never, did you never do the princess stuff? No. Really? You've just always been realistic, huh? <laughs> okay. How about you, Cindy? What was your... Can't remember? 
It's already already erased. You just erase the board as you write them with one hand, erase with the other hand. I can tell you, my granddaughters, they've got they've got uh, Bell stuff, you know, from Beauty and the Beast, and they've got Cinderella stuff, and they've got um, Sleeping Beauty stuff. And when we went to Disneyland for the first time, that's really all they cared about was getting to see those princesses. They hated the rides; it scared them. Okay? But they like being a princess. You know why they like being a princess? Because they're supposed to be one. You know why you wanted to be a Packers football player? It has a lot of glory and honor associated. Well, you're a warrior. That's as close as we get to a warrior that's, that's elevated in the eyes of all people in our culture, right? And that's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to not only want that, you're supposed to have it. And what happens to us is reality kicks in and we give up those dreams. And we settle for Jerry Springfield. Or Oprah. Or, what did I say? Is that wrong? I wondered why nobody laughed. You're feeling sorry for me. Obviously not. Yeah. Bruce Springfield. <laughs> so, you know, take those dreams that you had and reawaken them. This is you. This is who you're supposed to be. A crown prince. A princess. You know the Cinderella story? Right? She's got this great character. She's supposed to be royalty, but what's she doing? Cleaning the fireplace. Why? Her mean stepmother has taken her from her proper position and put her doing menial work. But what is her response? She does it with great gusto because she's a princess. And she doesn't let her sissy ugler mother determine who she is. She continues to progress on because she's a princess. And then one day, the discovery's made. She's really a princess because she can wear the glass slipper. And she's restored. Ta-da! Why do we like that story? It's true. If we don't neglect it. I like Lord of the Rings. I want to be Aragorn. What a great picture of manhood. He's the king. The high king of Gondor. But right now there's a steward in the place. The steward is misbehaving. But does he go in and take, take his kingship? No, he does not. Why not? It's not for his to do. It's for him to wait his time. So what does he do? He protects the border of the Shire, where the hobbits live. Is a hobbit have any importance whatsoever to, to earth? No. All they care about is eating six times a day. And when... Aragorn comes in to the bar or the uh, tavern to have a bite to eat. They all look at him with slanty eyes and fear because he's a scary looking character. They don't, they don't know that he's been killing ogres and orcs on the border of the Shire. So does he stand up and say, what's wrong with all you people? Don't you realize everything I've done for you? I do all this stuff for you and all I get is disdain from you. I'm going to, no more am I going to do this. If I don't get your respect, I'll just quit. No, he doesn't do that. Why? He's the king. He goes into battle. Is he worried about death? Not really. Death's no big deal. Everybody's going to die. But to be dishonorable, to not be kingly, unthinkable. No way will I ever... Even consider such a thing. 
What a great thing to aspire to. It's just a story. But we love the story because it's true. The captain of our salvation has made it true. All of us are living in a world and somewhere in our life we're under a ugly stepmother. There's an ugly stepmother in your life if you'll think about it. Maybe a customer. Maybe a relative. A neighbor. Politician. So there's someone somewhere. And that tyrant wants to rule over you in such a way to gain pleasure for themselves because since they can't ascend to rule over everyone, at least they can rule over you. And when they can impose some sort of pain on you, it gives them pleasure because they are elevating themselves up. And they're going to make you clean the fireplace. But you know better. You know you have a tiny foot. Someday the prince will come. He promised it. He's coming back for his bride. If you don't neglect it. There's ogres out there. Orcs. Sauron's real. His eyes looking for you. It's on me. I can feel it. If you protect the shire, serve those who can't serve themselves, they won't appreciate it. They won't even understand it. But you're a king. You're you're waiting for the restoration. It's not your time. It's not my time to determine when I get restored. It's my opportunity to protect the shire until that day comes. And if we do those things, if we clean the fireplace with gladness and suffer under the ugly stepmother with cheerfulness, we're not neglecting the salvation. If we protect the shire and do unto others as we would have them do unto us, you won't get rewarded for that a lot of the time. Sometimes you will. But you're being a king. Let your dreams restore. Because the captain of our salvation has made it true. To end, I'm going to play a song that David wrote about Psalm 8. And uh, the words will be up on the screen. And you can listen to it. I just love this song. So uh, reflect on Psalm 8 while we do this, and then you'll be dismissed. Caleb, can you cue that thing up?